Good morning once again. Please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We've been working our way through a series. Today we are in the 13th part of this this series, Essentials of the Faith. First we looked at the adage, unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials, and love in all things. And we spent five or six weeks looking at that adage, and then we actually began to walk through the essential statement of the faith for our constitution or for our church. Within our denomination, there is the broad statement of faith, which is fairly in-depth. And then there is the essentials, which takes that in-depth statement and tries to bring it down into just a few simple words. These are items which the church, which we profess to hold to, we believe to be true. We believe that clearly the Word of God proclaims them. And we affirm them and we proclaim them with joy, with gladness, with confidence. These are items of the faith that are essential because they relate to salvation, generally speaking, or important truths of the faith, truths of the Christian faith. So so I want to finish up the series, and today we are on the sixth statement, six of seven statements. This is the statement that we will be looking at today. The unity of the spirit of all true believers, the body of Christ, visible in gathered communities and in cooperative mission. We affirm this statement to be true, and you can say, well, that sounds exciting. (laughs) This statement is speaking about the church, which is what we are. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've trusted him for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, then you are part of his church, part of the church, the church universal as well. I pray that you are part of a church local, that you are part of the body of Christ, that you have, if you've trusted Christ, you have his spirit dwelling within you. You are part of his body. Now, nowhere in that brief statement that I just read does it actually use the word church, but it certainly is what it is speaking of. I'll read it again. The unity of the Spirit. So we affirm this to be true. The unity of the Spirit of all true believers, the body of Christ, visible in gathered communities and in cooperative mission. Now, I'm going to read the broader statement within our actual doctrinal statement, just so we have a broader sense of what is being said here. And you will understand as I read this where we actually get that narrowed down statement from. So we believe that the church, the true church, consists of all people everywhere who have been reborn through personal participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, being called out to become part of the body of which Christ is the head. The church is visible to the world when believers gather in community and when they are active in serving and blessing others in Jesus' name. The church is the evidence of God's saving work and a strategic part of God's plan to reflect his grace, proclaim his truth, and extend his care to the world. The people of God have been sent on mission to the world to love and worship God in a spirit of unity, to teach the word of God, to celebrate baptism and communion, to encourage all people to follow Jesus, and to participate in the ever-growing kingdom of God. So you can see clearly where we get the reduced statement that is within our essentials of the faith, the unity of the spirit of all true believers, the body of Christ, visible in gathered communities and in cooperative mission. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into your word, that you would guide us. Lord, I pray that we would not separate your word from a statement of faith, but that we would see the validity of a statement of faith because it is within your word. And so give us clarity, give us understanding, give us wisdom as we look into your word. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us into the truth of your word. Lord, I ask that you would, Lord, that you would keep us from being distracted with our own busyness, our own thoughts, our our own personal distractions that may be entering our mind even now, that we truly would meet with you, 
we would have fellowship with you, we would grow to know you, and we would be transformed by you as we look into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In looking at that statement that I gave you, I see four elements that are presented within it about the church. Now, they aren't presented in the order that I'm going to be giving them. That's just my preference and also how I place priority. And these will be the four points. So this is the four points that I see from that statement of faith and what we're going to discover in Ephesians chapter 1 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Four points. The church is the body of Christ. Second, the church is universal. Third, the church is local. And fourth, the church is intentional. Or you could use, as our denomination is um, fond of doing, the word missional. I'm not sure why they decided that they could make up a word that doesn't actually exist. But they've even written a document called the Missional Church. I prefer the word intentional. The church is intentional. Now, perhaps as I have listed those four points, you have already begun to tune me out. Yep, you say, we know this. The church is the body of Christ. He is our head. Got it. The church is universal. That is, every believer everywhere is part of it. Yep, we got that. The church is local. We've got that. We understand. We gather here on a Sunday morning as a demonstration of that. And we would say the church is intentional. Yep, we've got this. God has called us to certain things, and we should be deliberate about it. Okay, we can wrap the sermon up right now. But I believe we miss the relevance of the church. And I think that we have a tendency in our day and age and in our culture of overlooking it. We do church, and we are the church, we understand that, but we generally fail to grasp the wonder of what that means. Ephesians chapter 1 has a glimpse of the wonder of what that means. It's interesting because Ephesians chapter 1 is a phenomenal, it's an incredible passage. It is one of the most encouraging passages for the believer. That is, if you have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, it is encouraging. It is powerful. And at the very end of it, it speaks about something called the church. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 15 to 23. But just so that you can get some context here before we get into verse 15, Paul starts off by saying in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, Grace to you, that is to all believers, particularly in the church in Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul begins to remind them of every blessing that they and consequently we have, if you are in Christ, of every blessing we have in Christ. Verse 3 says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4 says, we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5 says, we are predestined to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ. Get the blessing in this? Verse 6 says, we are made accepted in the beloved. Verse 7 says, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ. Verse 8 says, God's grace has been made to abound toward us. Man, this is just, it's increasing and increasing in wonder. Verse 9 says, God has revealed the mystery of his will to us. Verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says that we, believers, are exalters, not exalted, but exalters of the glory of God. Verse 13 says that we have been sealed, that is, we are secured and kept by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most phenomenal passages in the Word of God because it speaks of our standing in Jesus Christ and the wonder of that standing, the blessing that it is to be in Jesus Christ. So with that context in mind, let's read from verse 15 to the end of verse 23. Paul speaking, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Even here in these verses, we find incredible encouragement. Verse 18, we have hope and an eternal inheritance. Verse 19 and 20, the same exceedingly great power of the resurrection is at work within those who are followers of Christ. But then notice the train of thought in the last couple verses. God displayed his exceedingly great power in raising Christ from the dead and seating him at his right hand above all things. God the Father placed all things under Christ's authority. And verse 22 says, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. God gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. Another word we could use there is for the church, for his body. Do you realize what that verse is saying? God placed Christ in authority over all created things. Over all, verse 21 says, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Supreme authority. And then there in that verse, it says that it is for the benefit, for the delight, for the purpose of his church, of his body. Albert Barnes notes on the Bible says, the universe is under Christ's control and direction for the welfare of his people. Have you thought about that before? The universe is under Christ's control and direction for the welfare of his people. He goes on and says, all the elements, the physical works of God, the winds and waves and seas and rivers, all are under him and all are to be tributary to the welfare of the church. Earthly kings and rulers, kingdoms and nations are under his control. Thus far, Christ has controlled all the wicked rulers of the earth. They have not been able to destroy the church which he redeemed with his own blood. Angels in heaven with all their rank and orders are under his control with reference to the church. Fallen angels are under his control and shall not be able to injure or destroy the church. It is to the church. All things have been placed under Christ for the benefit of the church. Now that is not to, to bring glory to ourself. We have to have a proper understanding of what the church is. But can we understand now, if we see that all things are placed under Christ for the benefit of believers, we'll say, we'll say that instead, okay? His children, followers of Christ. Can we then understand why Paul would also say in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? They work together for good because every created thing has been placed under the authority of Jesus Christ for the benefit of his children. He's been placed under the authority of Christ for his body. How is that possible? The final verse in Ephesians chapter 1 explains it. God gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. It says in verse 23, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a strange expression for us. We're going to look at what it means that we're part of his body momentarily as part of the first point, but before I get there, the church is the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Quite simply, it means that the church is the completion of Jesus Christ. We don't even like to think that. We can think that because it doesn't say that Christ is lacking anything because right after it says, who fills all in all. But it says that Christ, or that the church is the fullness of Jesus Christ. The church is that which fills up or is the contents. Have you ever thought about that before? We refer to ourselves as the body, but the contents of Christ in physical form. Now this completion is by being complementary. Just as our body is complementary to our head and thus completes it, the church is the complement of Christ. The church is the completeness of Jesus Christ. That does not mean Christ is incomplete without us because it says he is the one who fills all in all. In other words, he is creator and sustainer of all things. As Colossians tells us, in Christ all things consist. So the church is the fullness of Christ or the completeness of Christ. Yet it is Christ who fills all things to completion. Now you may be listening and thinking, well, this is sure a pile of words. It's not really saying a whole lot. But this shows to me, and I pray it does to you as well, the wonder and privilege of the church. It's by being the body, by God's design, is the completion or the fullness of Jesus Christ. The church is the means that God is using in this age to uniquely reveal his power, his goodness, and his truth. The church is the means in this age which God is at work in and through. The church is the expression of Jesus Christ. After all, when we say that the believer has Christ in them and that the believer is in Christ, is that a reality or is that just figuratively speaking? It is a reality. By some supernatural, mysterious process, at the moment of salvation, Christ comes by his Spirit and abides within every believer. That is real. We have the Spirit within us. That is the wonder of the church. We, all believers, are in Christ and of Christ within us. It is intimate and personal. In John chapter 14, Christ speaking about the promised coming of the Holy Spirit, he says, at that day you will know that I, this is Christ speaking, Christ says, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. We gloss over that. Christ is saying, in the same way that Christ is united with God the Father in the Trinity, we are united with Christ. Christ says, as I am in the Father, you are in me and I am in you. Unity. We are parts of, and we are, as the United Church, universal, the completion or the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, that does not make us mini-gods or demi-gods. We are still men and women with a fallen sin nature. But we are possessed, it's a horrible word to use, but we are possessed by Christ. And the church is all those who are also possessed by Jesus Christ, who are indwelt by Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. So this is no minor doctrine. This is truly a glorious doctrine. This is truly a marvelous doctrine. That's why I really struggle when people say, I don't like the church. What do you mean you don't like the church? You don't like Christ? It's the fullness of Christ. It is his body. Now, you may not like a church. <laughs> You're more than welcome to do that. But the church? Don't speak belittling of the church. Don't condemn the church. The church is, is the body of Christ. You could go so far as to say the church is Jesus Christ in part. Isn't that what it means when it says that the church is the body 
of Christ. Well, let's look at that because that was my first point. I'm just getting there now. First point, the church is the body of Christ. Our statement declares the unity in the spirit of all true believers, the body of Christ. Now, is the body literal or figurative? Rhetorical question. There are some passages which seem to indicate that it is an illustration, and there are others which seem to indicate that it is actual. The primary passage for this, both for literal and for figurative, actually, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I would encourage you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is primarily about spiritual gifts. But I want to read a few verses there. We're going to start in verse 12. So he's gone from speaking, introducing, this is about spiritual gifts, because verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. But if we skip down to verse 12, we see this illustration and reality of the body. And as we're reading it, I want you to discern which is the illustration and what is the reality. Starting in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an ear, or sorry, were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And on our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the parts which lack it, that there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of tongues? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And he goes on to chapter 13, speaking of love. Here we have the presentation of the body as an illustration, first, and as a reality, Secondly, it is not the body of Christ that is the illustration. It is our body which is the illustration. Our physical, literal body illustrates the actual body of Christ, which is spiritual. We understand that when Paul speaks of the foot and the hand and the ear and the eye, that he is speaking of how the literal, physical body works. That shows how the spiritual body, the body of Christ, is to function. But the body of Christ is actual. The body of Christ is being illustrated, but is itself not an illustration. It is literal. That is why verse 12 says, Christ is one body. That is why verse 13 says, by one spirit we were all baptized or immersed, brought into one body. That is why verse 18 says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, 
just as he pleased. On and on it goes. One body, the body, one body, the body. It is made abundantly clear. The body of Jesus Christ is literal, not figurative. If in doubt, verse 27, now you are, speaking to all believers, now you are the body of Christ. In case you're still in doubt, go back to Ephesians, which we just read. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ. Ephesians 4, 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. On and on it goes. It is not figurative. It is literal. But it is also not physical. It is spiritual. That is why the statement says the unity of the Spirit, or in the Spirit, of all true believers, the body of Christ. It is by the Spirit, and it is spiritual. Just as we understand, that doesn't, that doesn't make it less or not relevant. In a sense, it makes it of greater relevance and more important because it isn't tied to the physical world. It isn't tied to temporal things, but it is spiritual. We understand that when we trust Jesus Christ for forgiveness, trust him for eternal life, we do not take on the physical DNA of Jesus Christ, but we understand he indwells us spiritually. So in salvation, we become part of that spiritual body, the body of Jesus Christ. Now, you may say this is all good information, but practically speaking, what difference does it make? As the body of Christ, we must function as the body of Christ. We see that very, very clearly in that passage that I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Individual member of the body function as the body. Give care to the body. Suffer with other members of the body when they suffer. Rejoice with them when they rejoice. Continue, or sorry, contribute to the body. Don't be an apathetic part of the body. Don't think that you're a useless part of the body. You're an integral part of the body. If you don't think that is the case, then go through an experience where one part of your body is not working and see how integral that is to the rest of the function of your body. Sure, you may get away without it, but not effectively, not to the greatest effect anyways, not efficiently, not the way it was designed, neither does the church. In actuality here, as far as application, it's really simple. Follow the principle or the illustration of your physical body and act accordingly in the body of Christ, the church. Do you take care of your body? I hope so. Take care of your spiritual body, the church. You all got up this morning, you all got dressed, you all brushed your teeth, you all combed your hair, you, whatever you did to make yourself presentable, you take care of yourself physically. Take care of the body of Christ. If part of your body hurts, you give it extra attention, you medicate it, you get it rest, maybe you massage it, or you put ice on it, whatever the case might be. Don't do that to other believers, okay? Is there a member of the body, though, that, that you need to minister healing to? Is there members of the body that you need to minister forgiveness to? Is there members of the body that you need to minister encouragement to? Or is there a member of the body that needs to be straightened out and a splint put on it? Administer correction. Repair. We do that to our physical bodies. And we don't think twice about it. Do it as part of the body of Christ. Minister to one another. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Function accordingly. So first point, the church is the body of Christ. Second point, the church is universal. It says here, the unity of the spirit of all true believers. 
the body of Christ, visible in gathered communities and in cooperative mission. Simply put, the church consists of all true believers. That is, everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and it covers from Pentecost until Jesus Christ comes again for his church. All true born-again followers of Jesus Christ in this age of grace are the church. Covers all true believers of every tribe, tongue, and nation, no matter where you are, the color of your skin, the language you speak, your economic status, your societal standing, no matter your privilege or your poverty, no matter your political bent, as much as you may think otherwise, no matter your education level, regardless of every dividing line that ever could or ever has been created, if you are a true believer, you are part of the church. The church is universal. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20, But now indeed we are many members, yet one body. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28, For you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is universal. Another word that is used of the church universal is the church invisible. Nobody can tell by looking at an external appearance necessarily whether that person is a believer or not. So the church covers everyone who is truly a believer, whether you know it or not, and whether they are part of a local congregation or not. But if you are part of the universal church, I would encourage you, you should be part of a local church, which brings us to the next point. So we saw that the church is the body of Christ. We saw that the church is universal all throughout this age of grace, everyone who truly is a believer. And thirdly, we see that the church is local. And this is where kind of the rubber meets the road, because we can't do a whole lot as the universal church, quite honestly. It is where all the spiritual blessing is, and it is to his body that many things within Scripture are said. But here we see, both within the Word of God and practically speaking, what the church is and what it does. There were and are local gathering togethers of believers. That's the visible church. We are one such gathering. We are not the church in the total sense of it, universal, but we are the church as a portion of the broader universal church. And we see that clearly from Scripture as well. It's not presented in Acts, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the nice way that when it speaks about it being universal or when it speaks about um, Christ being the head of the body or the church being the body. But in Acts chapter 2, and continuing throughout the book of Acts, actually, we see this transition from it being one church, local and universal, the only time it ever was, to the church universal, which happens to be gathering in many different localities. Acts chapter 2 Immediately after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that was the only time when the church was both local and universal all in one spot, because all believers were there. But immediately after that, we, we see that believers are dispersed from Jerusalem, and everywhere that they go, the church is planted, the church spread. Acts chapter 8, we see the broader dispersal of believers. It says in verse 1 of that, now Saul was consenting to his death, that's the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. So the church was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So anywhere that they were dispersed, they gathered as local visible churches. So a local visible church is a small portion of the whole, and it is when they assemble, when it is they are together. And it, that's literally what church actually means, the word church. It means gathering, or a called out, a calling out. It is congregating. That's what the church is. 
And so we see people gathering together for worship, for prayer, for ministry throughout the rest of the New Testament and throughout time since the completion of the New Testament. You no longer see there just being one church, but many local churches, all which are part of that one universal church, the body of Christ. So in Scripture, in Acts, and then right through to Revelation, you see that there's the church in Jerusalem and Antioch and Caesarea and Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and Smyrna and Pergamos, and on and on it goes, that in every place the believers gathered, there was a church right down to this day and age. It's a good thing. There should be local, visible churches. We are part of that. We are a local, visible church. Paul, in addressing the church in Corinth, is speaking to a local, visible congregation. And he addresses it as a local, visible congregation when they gather together. He does it in two occasions, at least. The first one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he calls them out for sexual immorality. He's speaking to a local congregation. There's accountability and there is responsibility when the body of Christ gathers together in local assembly. The second place we see it is in regards to division, and he speaks about this just before celebrating or speaking of communion, the Lord's Supper. He says, I hear that when you gather together, there are divisions among you. And he actually uses those words, that when you gather together. He's speaking specifically to a local congregation. Accountability is one of the keys of local congregation, but also ministry and discipline and even structure. How does the church actually work? Well, we see throughout the New Testament that there is to be plurality of elders and that Paul appointed elders in the churches as they were established. There is a role for local congregations. There is outreach from local congregations. There is missions which flow from local congregations. You see, the universal invisible church is the whole body of believers. It is the church that the gates of hell will never prevail against. It is the wonder of the supernatural union of Jesus Christ with his children. But the local church is the visible expression of that. It is the visible expression of that. It is that tangible, identifiable group that says we will follow Christ together. It is that local, identifiable group that says we will follow Christ and we will love one another together. So it is the local visible church that acts as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's also the local visible church, which in Hebrews we're told not to forsake the gathering together of your members, but that you are to come together. You are to meet together. He's not saying that about the church universal. He's saying that about the local church. Believers. And it is of secondary importance to me where that church is for you. As long as there is that, that you are gathering together with Believers, a believer will not stay healthy. I firmly believe that. Will not stay healthy independent of the body. You know that. Cut your thumb off and see how long it survives. It can't. It won't. There are many people who profess to be following Jesus Christ and yet refuse to have anything to do with church. Now, maybe it's because there's been hurts against a church or by a church. Maybe there's been offense. There's a lot of things. Don't separate yourself from the body of Christ. If necessary, find a different one. Absolutely. But don't. Don't wander away. Far too many people, especially as we've seen that throughout history where there's conflicts, right? You will always have a certain number of people that come through a conflict within a church who hold fast regardless Some stay in the church, some go find another church. But you also have a high percentage of people who are caught up in those conflicts 
who fall through cracks and stop. What happens if you're cut off? Eventually, you wither up. Stay connected. We are designed as a family. We are designed to be together. Believers are. We're not designed to be independent. We're designed to gather together. The church universal is designed to gather together locally and visibly. I could go on about that, but part of it is explained in my fourth point. The church is intentional. A couple years ago, we, as a board and as a church, came up with a church mandate statement. This is an expression that after a lot of deliberation and prayer, we we wrote down, we kind of set it in concrete. This is something that we want to express, that we want to live. This is our purpose. We want to be intentional about it. Intentional is a good word. It was why, or it was because of that lack of intentionality, I guess, that we came together, we sat and we said, we must be more intentional about this. We must be more deliberate about this. Our purpose as Nampa Gospel Fellowship is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ above all else, to edify the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to evangelize the lost. Nice and easy. It's alliterated there. You can follow it. Exalt, edify, equip, and evangelize. That is our purpose as a body. Exalting the Lord Jesus Christ is the role and privilege of every believer. Every person that belongs to the church universal, you had better be doing that. We recognize, though, that edifying and equipping is a work that takes place within a congregation, within the local visible body of Christ. That's taken primarily from Ephesians chapter 4, also speaking about spiritual gifts, but it goes on and says that these gifts were given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying and equipping. And it actually goes on and says, until we all come to the measure of a perfect man, that is, until we're all mature and complete in Jesus Christ. So this is what is supposed to be taking place within a local congregation, within a local church. We're supposed to be intentional in these things. Now, exalting everyone, absolutely. Be exalting Jesus Christ. Regardless of what church you go to, you better be exalting Jesus Christ. Part of a local congregation here, the next ones, equipping, edifying, and evangelizing. This is where the body is working. This is where the body is doing what it is called to do. That, I pray, is what we as a local visible congregation, are about. I pray that is what we are about. And my desire is that in areas where we struggle in that, we would make ourselves about that by His enabling, by the Spirit, that we'd be equipping, that we'd be edifying, that we'd be, yes, exalting, that we'd be evangelizing the lost around us. Congregation, a local congregation, is to equip one another for the work of the ministry and to edify one another, that is internally. Then that local congregation that has been equipped and edified or built up, strengthened, that congregation is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. We are to evangelize. We are to be heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says we are to witness. That's why we are given the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And in our edifying, our equipping, and our evangelizing, we are to be intentional. We. And I recognize if you're here this morning, you're not part of this congregation. I hope that you can say this regardless of the name you put in it. But we, Nampa Gospel Fellowship, are called as a local visible church to these things. Exalting, edifying, equipping, and evangelism. Yes, we're called to many other things, but primarily those things. Those things cannot happen in context of church universal. They happen in context of church local. 
And in these things, we must be intentional. We affirm this morning the unity of the Spirit of all true believers, the body of Jesus Christ, visible in gathered communities and in cooperative mission. The church is the body of Christ. The church is universal. The church is local. And the church is intentional. You, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are the body of Christ. It's not figurative. You, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are part of the church universal. You, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and are present here this morning, even if it is just for this morning, are part of a local church, the gathering together of the saints of God to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You and I must be intentional. We must be going and doing what Christ is calling us to do. So I would encourage you, come together and be the church, and then go. Go and be the church. It is not just here, and it's not just out there. It's not one or the other. It can never be one or the other. It must be both. I really believe you can't effectively be the church out there if you're not gathering together with other believers somewhere. Somewhere that's a here, wherever that is. And also, you will not be a growing and effective church here, wherever that here is, if you're not out there. It's not one or the other. We must, we must be both as the body of Jesus Christ. Exalt Jesus Christ. Equip one another for the work of the ministry. Edify the body of Christ and evangelize the world. That is what he is calling us to as the church, his body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miraculous work that there is in this thing called the church, your body. And we honestly, we can't actually understand it. And we acknowledge that, our shortcomings, our inabilities. We don't know how, the moment we trust Jesus Christ, we're made a part of this spiritual being, this body, this church, this living organism. And yet we see within your word that we are. And we trust We trust that that is true, and we ask that you would enable us to, even where we don't understand how it happened, to work effectively as it is. That as you have in Jesus Christ united us together in one body, we would so work, we would so live, we would so exalt you, we would do all that you call us to do, we would walk pleasing together. And Lord, that as well, where where there is weakness, where there is failure, where there is sin, Lord, we would address it together. Where there is sorrow, we would sorrow together. Where there is honor, we would, we would honor one another. We would be honored together. Lord, I ask that you would enable us to take this illustration of the physical body and to moment by moment in our lives be diligent about applying it to that spiritual body, the body of Jesus Christ. Give us grace for one another. Give us love for one another. Give us a mercy towards one another and a compassion for one another. Give us a sense of Confidence as well. And even in a right way of pride. We wouldn't shun, we wouldn't hide back from being part of the body of Christ. We wouldn't, we would not be ashamed of even that truth within the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that we would actually see the wonder and the joy and the awe, the privilege that it is to be part of your body together. And that we would, we would share that with the world around us. Yes, 
Salvation is of greatest importance, and we understand that. And the inheritance that is to come is what we strive for. And yet there is wonder and joy, even today, even at this moment, in being part of the body of Christ. I pray that you would find Nampa Gospel Fellowship to be living and serving and operating well as your body. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.